Good morning. My name is Ivy Sprague, and this morning I'll be sharing today's scripture from Acts chapter 22, verses 2 through 11. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I stuttered under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you've been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of that light had blinded me. Amen. Well, I want to reiterate some things that Megan told you earlier. Uh, our Christmas Eve service is coming up on Friday, 6 o'clock, right here in this room. We'll have nursery available, 0 to 2. Um, but the most important thing that I want to communicate is invite a friend. You know, that people are, I, I saw a statistic this week that said 82% of people would go to church if someone invited them. But less than 5% of Christians ever invite anybody. And, um, if that's true, obviously I didn't do the research, so I don't know, but it came from somebody who does do that kind of research. Uh, if that's true, then um, this is the time. <laughs> this is the time. Who's that person that you might invite to church on Christmas Eve? Because I believe that it'll be an awesome time of worship together. We've got a great service plan. I hope to see you there. Also, uh, just for you to be thinking ahead, we are going to take an offering at Christmas Eve. We're going to give that whole offering away, as has become kind of our uh, our practice on Christmas Eve. We're going to give our offering to Edmonds Elementary School. We're just going to cut them a big fat check uh, sometime early January. So come and give generously. And I look forward to being able to do that with all of you. So the oldest artistic rendering of Jesus that we have, that we have discovered, comes from about the year 200, 200 years after Jesus. And it's not a painting, and it's not a sculpture, and it's not a statue. It's actually graffiti etched into the wall of a boy's dormitory room. This dormitory building was where boys who worked in the palace of the emperor would live. And there on the side of the wall, there has been etched a depiction of Jesus. And we have a picture here. As you'll notice, you have Jesus hanging on the cross. But in this particular rendering of Jesus, he has the head of a donkey. And there's a boy next to him worshiping him. And the inscription reads, Alexamenus worships his God. Alexamenus worships his God. Now, we don't know who this Alexamenus was, other than that he was a young boy employed in the house of the emperor, that he was a Christian, and apparently he was a faithful one, and that people made fun of him for it. That's all we know about him. But I will say this, in, a, in another room in that same building, near the room this was discovered in, there's another inscription scribbled on a wall, scribbled by a different hand, and it says... Alexamenus is faithful. We don't know if Alexamenus himself wrote that or somebody else put it there, 
But you know, I think about the loneliness that this Alexamenus must have felt. It appears that this young boy had a faith that he lived out before a hostile world. I wish I could go back in time and tell him that his faithfulness would become an encouragement to thousands of Christians in the future. God would take Alexamenus' humiliation and use it for good. I wonder what had happened in Alexamenus' life to give him this kind of faith. Surely he grew up in a, in a Christian home. I mean, there weren't very many at the time, uh, but they were starting to spread by then, rapidly actually. But it was still at this point a rare thing in the Roman Empire to be a Christian. But certainly his parents must have become Christians at some point. Um, but my suspicion is that Alexamenus, for him to carry this faith with him to the context that he was in, it was probably more than just the faith of his parents that carried him. It was probably more than just a cultural artifact for him. I think that Jesus had probably become real to him at some point. Jesus was not just an abstract thought or idea. Jesus had become real to Alexamenus at some point. That's my suspicion. Now, some of you may be wondering why on the Sunday before Christmas, the last Sunday of Advent, we're not preaching on a text from the Christmas story, the birth narrative. Instead, Ivy just read a passage from Acts. We learned about Paul's conversion. I'll tell you why. The reason is because the season of Advent is, it's not simply about the birth of Jesus, it's about the coming of Jesus. And it's one thing to know that Jesus came to earth. It's another thing to know that Jesus has come to you. And that's what I want to talk about. I don't just want to talk about how Jesus came to earth. I want to talk about how Jesus has come to you. Paul's story shows us that the coming of Jesus isn't just a thing that happened in the past in a land far away, even though that's true. It's also something that can happen today, it can happen to you, it can happen right now. Look, you haven't fully understood Christmas until Jesus has become real to you. And so my prayer is that this season, we would not only remember the birth of Jesus, that we would experience the coming of Jesus our series that we're in right now is called The Four Witnesses. The last few weeks we've been learning about Christmas from the perspective of the different gospel writers, the four witnesses. We've learned from Matthew and from Luke and from John. You may remember we skipped Mark because Mark picks the story up when Jesus has grown up. Um, and so the fourth witness is us. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how you and I can be witnesses to the coming of Christ in our own lives. Paul was zealous for his religion. He thought he had things figured out. And one of the things that he thought he knew was that he had to stand against those who taught something different than what he believed. He thought it was his mission to silence the people that were teaching strange doctrines about Jesus, this Jesus fellow that they thought was the Messiah. Here's what he says in verse 4. He says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. This has nothing to do with my sermon. I just want to point out the fact that he refers to the early Christians as a way. We talk about this all the time here at Table Church. Because what's our mission? Inviting people to the way of Jesus. They didn't call themselves Christians. The word Christian was actually an insult. Calling them Christ ones, little Christs, the ones that just follow this Christ. They refer to themselves at first as the followers of the way. Why? Because Christianity isn't simply a bunch of beliefs. Christianity is a way of life. 
I just want to point that out. Now, one of the things that I often see religious people do is they sometimes kind of, we, we position ourselves as God's self-appointed defenders, you know? And we kind of decide, hey, it's, I think it's my calling. I think it's my job to go out there and make sure that anyone who's teaching or saying wrong things about God, that I correct them. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a place for prophets. It's kind of what a prophet does. The prophet is the person who comes along and tells us when we're off course, right? That's like, we see that in the Bible all the time. So there's a place for prophets. But I think that the people I'm talking about, and I bet you've met them before, a lot of them happen to be in church, right? Uh, the people that I'm talking about are very different from the biblical prophets. I'll tell you why. These people often lack two things that biblical prophets do have. Number one, the biblical prophets always have a clear call from God. And number two, the biblical prophets usually didn't want to do it. They only accepted their calling reluctantly. They didn't want to go. Isaiah said, I am ruined, he said. Jonah literally ran the opposite direction when God called him. Jeremiah cried the whole time. Like, these people did not want to do what God was calling them to do. But the self-styled modern prophets that we often see today, those who feel they must protect God, they are the opposite, it seems to me. In fact, uh, here's the difference between a biblical prophet and many modern self-appointed prophets. Biblical prophets reluctantly go because their God is so big and has called them. Modern prophets enthusiastically go because their God is so small and needs them. You see the difference? I think that's what Paul was. I think that he was in that second group. His God was small enough that Paul figured, I need to defend him. I need to go arrest all the people saying the bad things about God. It's my job. And so he went after it with a passion. He was on his way to Damascus to arrest more Christians when something went down. Jesus showed up. It says, about noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, in psychology, they have this phrase, gestalt shift. I Googled it to make sure I was pronouncing it right. Gestalt shift, okay? And um, it's probably German or something. But a gestalt shift is when, like, your entire paradigm changes. Your entire conceptual scheme changes. And usually it's not like an incre incremental thing. You don't kind of slowly make your way there. It's not, like, it's not like you're turning a big ship around. A gestalt shift is like, boom, things are different. Holy smokes, the, the way I thought it was is actually the complete other way. I had it upside down. That's a gestalt shift. You may have seen this picture before, the, the famous duck rabbit picture. I've used this before in a sermon. Uh, you look at it, at first you see either a rabbit or you see a duck. And then somebody else is like, no, I see the other thing. And you're like, huh? And then, boom, it's there. Whoa, I thought I was looking at a rabbit. I'm not, I'm looking at a duck. I don't know, maybe it is a rabbit. What is it? See, you don't just add something to the picture. The picture completely flips, doesn't it? It completely changes. Can anybody not see one of the things? Who can only see one? Okay, so us can only see one thing. Like, just keep looking. It'll show up. You got the beak of the duck over here, or the bill, sorry, right? The bill of the duck over here, 
There's its eye, but then the bill is also the ears of the rabbit. The rabbit's looking that way, the duck's looking that way. Anyway, when it, when it happens, you'll know. It'll just all shift. I rather suspect that in the moment that Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus, that was a just all shift for Paul. It was like, oh no. <laughs> Everything I thought to be true is wrong. The thing I was against is actually right. Holy smokes. Our house was built in the 1950s, and sometime in the 80s or the 90s, uh, some previous owners built a sunroom on the back of the house, which we're thankful for. We love that room. That changed my house quite a bit. But you know what? It didn't fundamentally change my house. Like, you drive by my house, it looks the same as it did back then. You can still identify my house from the street. It didn't fundamentally change it. When Jesus showed up to Paul on the side of the road, he didn't just add a Jesus house or a Jesus room to his theological house. It wasn't just kind of a little tack on to Paul's theology. No, Jesus burned the house down, and they started over. The word that Paul will go on to use for, for this moment, he'll talk about this in Galatians and elsewhere. He'll say that God revealed his son to me. You know what that Greek word for revealed is? It's the word apocalypse. God apocalypsed me, he says. An apocalypse is just a revealing, but it's an undoing of the old order of things. Paul was apocalypsed that moment on the road to Damascus. Everything he thought he knew was now different. It wasn't just tacking Jesus on to his life. It was a complete upheaval, a complete revolution in his conceptual framework. It was a gestalt shift. The guy who hunted Jesus' followers becomes willing to die for Jesus. See, Paul had heard of Jesus, and that never changed him. He'd heard all sorts of things about Jesus. But Paul met Jesus, and that changed everything. There's a recent study of hundreds of Muslims who convert to Christianity. People wanted to know why, what's causing, what would cause a Muslim, a faithful Muslim, to convert to Christianity. Seems like a big jump to make, you know? And they discovered, they, they, they surveyed hundreds of these individuals, and they discovered a full 25% of the Muslim converts to Christianity became Christians because Jesus appeared to them in a dream. Hundreds of Muslims, this is very well documented, and it's ongoing. Hundreds of Muslims are becoming Christians because Jesus comes to them in a dream. Darren Carlson wrote about a friend of his who tells of a Persian immigrant. He was a Muslim man. And this man said that a man in white came to him in the middle of the night and said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Follow me. This man didn't know what that meant, didn't know what was going on. He eventually encounters a pastor, and the pastor pulls out a Bible and shows it to him and says, do you know what this is? He says, no. He opens to the book of Revelation, and he reads that passage where Jesus says those words, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And then he prays with this man and he feels a peace come over him and, and he goes and he comes back with 10 other Persian immigrants to this pastor. And Carlson tells of another friend who was a Muslim and she heard the gospel preached and, and it created such turmoil in her because of, if this is true, this changes my life so drastically. And she went home and she was sick. She got behind the couch and hid, it said, she said. And as she was Hiding behind the couch, she doesn't know if she was asleep or awake, but a man entered the room 
and said to her, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that day she became a Christian. Now what would cause a man to go against everything that he was for? What would cause a young boy to have the courage to stand as he's mocked by his peers? What would cause a young woman to completely change everything about her life? The answer is an encounter. An encounter with Jesus. An apocalypse. A revealing. Jesus comes to each of these people and it completely wrecks their paradigms. Because that's what happens when Jesus shows up. We're used to talking about Jesus' coming at Christmas, but we talk about it, like I said, we talk about it like something we see on the news, something that happened a long time, you know, whatever, galaxy far, far away, whatever Star Wars says. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But what if Jesus wants to come to you today? We'll never fully understand the meaning of Christmas until Jesus becomes real to us. Jesus doesn't just come to earth. Jesus comes to you and before Jesus ascends into heaven, he turns to his disciples, and by extension, he turns to you and me, and he says, I will be with you until the end of the age. In other words, Jesus promises to be present with us, not just as an abstract idea or a doctrine or a belief system, but as a person. And I find that in church, people often know the story of Jesus, but they don't always know the person of Jesus. We've read the stories, we've heard the sermons a thousand times, but we haven't actually had that encounter with him yet. And my prayer is that this Christmas, that would be something that God would come and shake up our congregation, that he would shake up Table Church, and that we may be able to experience the person of Jesus. I could share a number of stories about times where Jesus just showed up in my life. I remember one time I was in a season of doubt, and for whatever reason, it was just really getting into me. I was struggling in my faith, and uh, through a very powerful time of prayer, Jesus appeared in my heart, in my mind. I don't know where, but he was there, and he, and he gave me a sword. And for whatever reason, now anytime that I feel those feelings creep back, I just kind of remember my sword. And it, was, it felt as real as me standing here talking to you. I can't quite explain it, but perhaps some of you have had those kinds of experiences where Jesus just shows up and it's mysterious and it's a little bit unexplainable, but it's good. I want that for us. I want that for our church. I don't want this just to be a time where we come and we hear a good, the music's good and the sermon's good. And you know, Pastor Phil, he shares about the historical context of the Bible and shares the Greek sometimes. That's interesting. No, that's not enough. We need the manifest presence of God in this place. That's what we want. And that's what I'm praying happens at Christmas. There was a study where scientists took brain scans of London taxicab drivers. Now, London taxi drivers are known for their excellent sense of kind of direction. And so they were wondering, hey, does the brain of the taxicab driver look different than the brain of the non-taxicab driver? Particularly the area of the brain that has to do with spatial awareness, which apparently is the hippocampus. And so they took the MRIs, and uh, sure enough, they've got the taxi cab driver group and they've got the control group. And sure enough, the taxi cab driver's hippocampus is bigger than everybody else's. And the longer that you'd been a taxi cab driver, the bigger that part of your brain was. And now, you and I, we could sit and look and study a map of London for days if we want, but our hippocampus isn't going to change. 
what you need to do is you need to actually get in a car and drive through the streets of London. That's the difference between knowing about the city and knowing the city. And similarly, when we are with Jesus, whether it's through prayer, whether it's meditating on scripture, Lectio Divina, any of the other practices that we have on our discipleship pathway, by the way, that helps you access Jesus in a more full way. What happens is that we come to just knowing, from just knowing about Jesus to actually knowing Jesus as a person. And so if you took a spiritual MRI today, what would it reveal? Would it show a soul that has been formed through experiential knowledge of Jesus, or would your soul look just like the control group? My hope is that this Christmas we would experience Jesus, that we would have a gestalt shift. And Jesus would come and mess up our paradigms through his presence. But I think that for that to happen, we have a choice to make. And the thing I want to talk about is if Jesus were to come to you today, how would you receive him? How would you receive him? Because I think there's kind of three options, at least three that I want to talk about. And um, the ushers are actually going to hand out a card. We've got a printout, and I'm just going to hand it to you. And it's got these three options on it with some scripture. And we'll talk about it at the end here. But I just want you to be able to look at it as I, as I go through them. So three ways that you can receive Jesus this Christmas. The first one is you can receive Jesus as the one you're running from. As the one you're running from, or maybe the one that you're fighting against even. Okay, this was Paul. This is where Paul was. He was running from Jesus, or he was persecuting Jesus, however you want to put it. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, particularly pleased with the idea of Jesus. Jesus had to chase Paul down, right? Remember, he had to literally blind him. It probably wasn't a very pleasant experience for Paul. It blinded him, the proud, confident young man who believed that he was God's valiant defender had to be led by the hand as he sat in darkness and had to contemplate how wrong he was. That couldn't have been fun. I wish some of those moments aren't necessary, but I can't judge Paul because <laughs> I can be pretty thick-skulled sometimes. And sometimes God has to chase me down too. Those moments aren't always fun, but praise God for them. And I bet there's people here who can relate to Paul. I don't know everyone's story, but maybe you were running from God and then, boom, Jesus showed up in one way or another and you're like, yeah, I was wrong. Praise God for that. Might have been hard, but thankful for it, you know. I've had a lot of conversations uh, with atheists and skeptics and they often have very good you know, reasons for why they don't believe. And often there's this set of rational reasons why they don't believe in God or in Jesus. And hey, yeah, it sounds crazy. I get it, right? And so I don't blame people really, but uh, I often find that there's some sort of an emotive content as well to their disbelief. Maybe some sort of a repulsion to what they see Christians doing, or maybe even something more personal, like something that happened in a church, some sort of, of a wound or a hurt that happened. And, and obviously, I'm terribly apologetic about those sorts of things. And, um, it's unfortunate that it happens. Uh, and so if anyone's in that situation, if anyone here or watching is, you're, you're running from Jesus or you're just not into it or whatever the case is, I hope you don't mind if I pray that Jesus would chase you down like a linebacker and tackle you this Christmas. Like, usually when I talk to atheists too, they're, they're like, you know, I'd be okay. Like if Jesus just wants to show up in a lightning bolt or something, I'm open, you know. It's always, I always wonder how open they actually are because... A lot of times in the Bible, God does those things and doesn't really work. But still, if that's what it is going to take, I'm going to pray that that's what would happen to you. 
And so would you kind of suspend some, some of your, um, I don't know, aversion, if you have that? Just for Christmas, you know? For the season, and, and pursue him, and see if Jesus doesn't appear to you, doesn't show up to you in some meaningful way. I don't know what that would be exactly, but I can tell you that in my experience, reading the scriptures is one of the most powerful ways for that to happen. Reading them slowly, imagining what Jesus is doing and looks like and what's going on and putting myself in the story. Some of the most amazing encounters I've ever had have happened through that. But often they come when you least expect it. You can't, God's not a formula. Paul wasn't looking for God. He just showed up in a blinding light, blinding light and that, that was that. The second way that we can receive Jesus. Oh, before we move on, so I just want to say that first category here. I hope, I, pr- I promise, I want to say this. I want to promise you, Jesus is nothing like his bad representatives. Maybe you've encountered some of those self-styled pro- uh, prophets that we talked about earlier. Yeah, Jesus is nothing like his bad representatives. That's all I'm going to say. Let's move on. Number two, some of us might receive Jesus as the one you'd hoped for. The one you'd hoped for. Some of you today are in despair you feel hopeless, you need a word from God today, you need God to move in your life, you're hoping for Jesus to come. You're not like the first group. You're not running from Jesus. You're not against him. In fact, you, you believe and you want him to show up. You're just waiting. You're kind of like Anna. Anna was a woman whose husband passed away, and so she devoted her life to prayer and fasting in the temple And she was yearning for that day when she would get to gaze upon the face of the Messiah. She'd experienced loss and hardship, but never gave up hope that one day the Messiah would come. And that day finally comes in Luke 2, verse 38, when she finally gets to meet baby Jesus. I know what it's like to wait on God. I know how slow God can be, right? I don't know, that must just be something about being eternal. Like, you don't it's not in a hurry. That's the way God is. He's so slow. Remember, Anna was 84 years old before that moment finally arrived. And it says that when it happened, she gave thanks to God. In other words, it was worth the wait. It was worth the wait. If you're in that group, if you need a word from God today, if you need God to intervene in something, if you need healing, if there's something where it's like, God, it's either you or nobody, I'm going to pray, obviously, that God would show up. That this Christmas you would get to have a story that you could give God all the glory for. I'm also going to pray for patience. I'm going to pray that you would understand that God is doing something in the waiting. Again, I've been there. God's doing something in you right now in this waiting that he could not do if you didn't have this situation. And so be faithful in the waiting and just see how God transforms you through it. And the final category is that we could receive Jesus as the one you thought you knew. The one that you thought that you knew. I suspect this one is probably most relevant for longtime churchgoers Many of the people in this room probably are in this category. The, the biblical example for us here is Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a member of the ruling council. He was a religious authority. He was an expert on God. Yet he was completely confounded by Jesus. Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus happened under the cover of night 
presumably because he didn't want anyone to know <laughs> that he was meeting with Jesus. And Jesus, they had this conversation, and the thing that really gets Nicodemus is when Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. It's like, what? You know what Jesus is talking about there? He's talking about just all shift. He's talking about apocalypse. He's like, Nicodemus, you can't just tack a little of Jesus onto your mind castle right now. Like that, it's going to require you to burn the thing down and start over. I am completely other than what you thought I was. And look, so many people who have gone to church for so long, we've built up this conception over time. And look, pieces of it are right, pieces of it are cultural. Like we have all this weird kind of mix. And sometimes we just need Jesus to come and wipe the slate clean for us. And what happened, that's what happens when we encounter him. And so maybe you need, you receive Jesus as the one that you thought you knew, but you need your paradigms to be changed a little bit today. You've been learning about Christmas all your life, but you haven't fully understood Christmas until Jesus has become real to you. And so I don't know what category you're in, but here's my ask. Just take that card home with you and um, pray about where you might be. If you're in one of those, maybe you're not in any of those and you need to make up another one, that's fine. But if you can locate yourself in one of those today, um, go to that scripture and say, God, what do you have to teach me here? What word do you got for me? And can this be my experience? Things don't really get resolved with Nicodemus till later on a little bit, but... Nonetheless, maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're somebody who just needs to be confounded by Jesus. Like, I actually pray this a lot. Like, Jesus, confuse me. <laughs> you know, like, I, want, I don't want to be in a place where I think I know everything there is to know about you. I don't want to be in a situation where I think I've got you figured out, Jesus. As soon as that happens, I need you, Jesus, to come. Just mess me up. Because as soon as we think we have Jesus figured out, that's where our faith gets complacent. That's where our, that's where our worship becomes dry and dull. It's where church becomes boring. It's all the things that we pastors say you need, just you don't want them anymore. You've got everything you need. Jesus, would you come mess me up? Tell me I need to be born again. And may I have the humble faith and humble heart to receive it when you do. All I'm trying to say is simply this. Can we grow desperate for Jesus as a church? Can we say, Jesus, come and wreck me? I said in a sermon a few weeks ago, I said in the next year, what do we need? We need the presence of God. We need God to come. I want this to be a place where, you know what? If you're not going to come to church, it's not going to be because you're bored. It's not going to be because you're lazy. It's going to be because you know if you come to this place that God's going to put his finger on something and you just don't want to deal with it. If, that, if you're not going to come to church, I want that to be the reason. I'd take that over this other stuff any day. I mean, neither of them are good, right? You still come. But if that's what it's going to take, I want this to become a place where it's like, whew, do I really want to go back into that today? I know God's going to do something. The flip side of that, the positive side of that, is we get to be a place where you walk out and you're like, hmm, something went down in there. Like there was somebody else there today. When was the last time you heard God speak? When was the last time you walked out of room and you were like, something happened? Something changed? When was the last time that you had your paradigms changed? When was the last time Jesus spoke to you and you're like, hmm, that's different? Maybe we need to be blinded. Maybe we need to be confused a little bit, Christians. And that's okay. 
And so this Christmas, let's make it our prayer to say, Jesus, come and make yourself real to me. I fully surrender to you. Let's not be satisfied with talking about Jesus' coming. Let's not be satisfied until we experience it, Table Church. Let's pray. Almighty God, um, it starts with me. It starts in my heart. And uh, the danger, of course, is that I'm one who gets up and has to teach about your word. And um, that comes sometimes with this kind of bizarre and impossible expectation that I would actually understand you. But Lord, may I and may we never forget how impossible that is. Surely you've revealed things about yourself to us, and we are grateful for that. But Lord, as soon as we start to think that that's the sum total of who you are, we've lost our way. And so Jesus, would you, um, would you burn down the house? Would you apocalypse us this Christmas? Would we encounter you in a real and fresh way, I pray? And for anybody here right now who needs you, maybe somebody just needs you to blind them, just show up, Lord. They're not going to do it on their own. They're running from me. They don't want to hear about you. They don't want to think about you. They're only here kicking and screaming, or maybe they're not even here at all. They're somehow hearing this podcast or whatever in the future or online. Lord, I pray that you would just, that you would appear, that you would do something big, that you'd work a miracle, just like you did to Saul. Lord, for those of us who are hoping for you to come, who want you to come, who are searching for you but just can't seem to find you today, Lord, would you do the same? Would you appear to them exactly as they need? And for the many of us who think we know you, who think we have you figured out, God, would you, would you mess us up a little bit? Would you show us that we, just, we can't box you in? We can know that you are good, that you are loving, but Lord, we cannot possibly comprehend the depths of those things. And Lord, may we continually be impressed by that. May all these things happen to us this Christmas as a church, Lord. We love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. And before we're done, if anyone here is in that category, that first category or something of that sort, and you are encountering Jesus today, uh, be sure to tell us. Write it on your card. There's a thing you can circle, I think, that says, I, I accept Christ. Or you can just write it down to say, hey, I need to learn about Jesus. And I will personally follow up with you, and we'll start talking about that. All right. Thank you so much for coming. Would you stand with us? We're going to sing one last song together.